In this episode of Lessons from Life, I want to demonstrate that patience and forgiveness are important ingredients in a functioning family, that owning up to your mistakes is as crucial as trying not to make them in the first place. Everyone who knows me knows me as a calm, jovial, and rational person, though I've come to realize through therapy that my upbringing gave me an anger problem, and this is a topic I might discuss more of in later episodes. But here's a hot tip for anyone who knows someone with an anger problem. Ignoring it doesn't make it go away. Tackling it does. I've spent lots of time and money in getting my anger problem minimized, and I'm a much better person for it. Though, while I'm not perfect in this regard, I certainly manage much more effectively than what I did years ago. However, lack of sleep, lack of fluids, and miscommunication at inconvenient times do push the envelope a bit. And the story I'm going to share with you now is about a family trip to Hong Kong that pushed the particular envelope as far as it could go. Hello, this is Damien, the tall, friendly atheist dad. I hope you're having a great day, and welcome to the Tall, Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. Here's a piece of advice. If you decide to go on holidays to a subtropical Asian country, don't go during summer. But if you decide to go during summer, don't book accommodation on the cheap. However, even if you do book accommodation on the cheap, make sure you get what you paid for. And in the event that you don't get what you paid for, either have a backup plan or learn enough of the local language to be able to question those who you paid money to in order to rectify the situation. And if you don't follow my advice, what happened to me may well happen to you. Now, I'm lucky I have a very forgiving family, and I've learnt to apologise when I've had to, especially when I'm clearly in the wrong. But still, I did get my family offside for a day or two, because of a situation that came about when we learned the hard way to not book cheap accommodation from an internet listing for a summer vacation to said subtropical Asian country. They say Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. I've never believed the hype. When you've become as philosophical and introspective as I have, you'll learn that happiness is wherever you are. But then... A large corporation that makes over $20 billion a year isn't going to tell you that you can find happiness internally. 
they're going to sell the facade of happiness. Because what are you going to do when you find out Disneyland only sells fake hyper-emotionalism to cover up their capitalist motives? Take them to court to get your $50 back for the ticket you paid? Protest outside the front of Disneyland and scare the children off? Fat chance. Despite Disney's marketing strategy. At about 10pm, one fateful night, for about 5 seconds, the main street of Disneyland in Hong Kong was the unhappiest place on earth. But before I get to the how and why, I've got a backstory to tell. As much as I love going on holidays to Asian countries, it seems that calamity has a way of finding me whenever I go there. In episode 1, I spoke about getting food poisoning while on my first holiday to Indonesia. And on this holiday, barely an hour after arriving in the country, I was in a car crash. At Hong Kong International Airport, if you want a taxi, you stand in line and you get the next taxi that pulls up, regardless of the state of either the driver or the taxi. A taxi is there, you want a taxi, you're getting into that taxi, no questions asked. Now, I'm not superstitious by any stretch, but I must have broken a mirror by throwing a black cat at it from under a ladder, because firstly, this taxi wasn't the newest or cleanest one going around. But second, and more important, our particular driver was sleep-deprived, which meant he saw fit to sporadically test the driver's seat as a bed and the seatbelt as a pillow. Yes, our taxi driver was literally asleep at the wheel. He would fall asleep for about five seconds at a time, then suddenly wake up, realise the car had drifted out of its lane, and then snap back into action. This happened a few times, and each time it happened, my concern was ratcheting up. And on the last time he fell asleep, it hit us. And by it, I mean the seven-foot-high trailer-mounted variable messaging sign used to indicate roadworks. Oh, and I should clarify, it didn't hit us. We hit it. The only saving grace was that this was on a Saturday afternoon and traffic was virtually non-existent. Because with the struggle our driver was in to get the vehicle back under control after the crash, if there were other vehicles on the road at this time, we surely would have collided with them. And I wouldn't have walked away with just a minor injury and a story to tell on a podcast. Not only was my elbow bruised, but also my ego. My wife pulled me up outside just after the crash as we were waiting for the authorities to come clean the mess up. And she says to me, Damien, why did you yell awas to a guy who doesn't speak Indonesian? I guess when you're in Asia, you speak Asian to the other Asians? Was the sheepish reply. But she was right. They don't speak Indonesian in Hong Kong. But we had already established that our driver spoke neither English nor Mandarin, two of the languages our family is proficient in. So who knows, I might have hit the jackpot with a third. Perhaps. But no. It was purely reactive and instinctual. There was no premeditation to yell the Indonesian word for watch out. It just happened. 
It's not like I sat down one day and thought, hmm, what will impress my wife and sister-in-law? I know, playing the hero by yelling out a word I know in their language, correct context and all. That's magnificent. All I need is a potentially life-threatening situation to arise, and then I'm going to spring into action. How was the taxi driver in question? I didn't understand a word he said, but I could tell from the tone of his voice and his body language he was sincerely apologetic. Maybe because he knew he seriously ducked up. The taxi authority came soon after and took me and my family to the nearest taxi rank to complete our journey to the Airbnb in Kowloon. The next taxi driver we got understood Mandarin, so we could at least speak with him. We eventually arrived to the address of where we were going to stay, intact. Which brings us to the next saga of our journey, not getting the Airbnb advertised. Despite the fact that the next person we needed to converse with spoke English, he had an attitude that was as unpleasant as our accommodation. What we paid for from the Airbnb listing was a somewhat spacious four-bed studio with natural lighting and space. What we got was a room with two beds and was barely 8 by 10 feet across, with a stubborn door to get into the combined shower and toilet. And this had to sleep five of us and accommodate all our luggage. To make it work, my wife and I slept on the standalone double bed, my sister-in-law on the top of the adjacent bunk bed, and my two kids next to each other on the bottom of that. The positives? We were right near restaurants and public transport. We could literally walk downstairs and shop for conveniences, go to the nearby night market, or head to other parts of the city in a train system that rivals Singapore's. Also, the super-fast internet was cool. The negatives? Rock-hard beds, a tiny fridge, and an air conditioning system that took about 15 minutes to begin cooling the room down. We were disappointed to say the least, but we were determined to not cause a fuss, especially since we were tired, grumpy, and hungry. So to ease our minds, we got some dumplings, saw the scenery, and made plans for the next day. Our days consisted of waking up at some unreasonable hour, getting ourselves ready, and then spending almost literally the whole day out and about. And this brings me to an observation I've made about one of the differences between Asian and Western people. When I, as a Westerner, organise a family holiday, our holidays are very slow-paced. I once had the brilliant idea to take the family to a small farming town in Victoria called Derinalum. Derinalum is so small and sparse that our neighbours were literally cows. We could look over the back fence and there they were. Now, to me, it didn't matter that we might only go out and about for half the day, because that means we could then return to our accommodation, sit on the front porch, enjoy a family meal, and watch the sunset over the wheat farms. Relaxing. But when my wife, the Asian, organises a holiday, go, 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 pack schedule, full days out, you want rest? Get rest in a hospital bed, or a coffin. 
Over the next few days, we went to Ocean Park, awesome theme park, Madame Tussauds Wax Museum, the Nongping Buddha, and we even went to Macau, which takes about a one-hour ferry, and I seriously want to go back there. So, we would go out the whole day, and then by the time we get back to our accommodation, our room was a hot box. And the fact that it took at least 15 minutes for the room to cool down, ain't nobody got time for that. So what I would do is when the rest of the family were in the hot box, waiting to take turns in the shower to wash away 14 hours of heat and humidity, I would go downstairs and see the local sites. I soon came to realise that I was the only white person in the district. And yes, while I'm well over six feet tall, and my Northern European heritage shows in my skin colour, thankfully, the locals didn't look at me like an oddity like the locals in Jakarta would. My favourite memory from this part of the trip was walking into a local noodle restaurant, being seated across the table from an elderly gentleman, and then him, using body language, complimenting me on my chopstick skills. I can wield a pair of chopsticks. Sure, I'm not catching flies Mr Miyagi style, but I also don't go hungry either. So we had the juxtaposition of him using his hands to communicate with me, and then I would speak my weird Australian-accented, baritone-voiced Mandarin Chinese to him. He understood what I was saying, but unfortunately for him, he didn't speak Mandarin and I didn't know Cantonese. So body language and hand signals it was in return. By the time we got to the unhappiest place on earth, the lack of rest was catching up to me. Long days out and about in the searing subtropical heat and humidity drained my energy. And the poor sleep from the rock-hard bed, tiny pillows, and being in the direct airflow of the air conditioner drained my resolve. There are two theme parks in Hong Kong, Ocean Park and Disneyland, and I can tell you without any hesitation which one is better, the one not owned by the corporation that holds the rights to Star Wars. The first reason I liked Ocean Park more is that there are more variety of rides, and they had plenty of rides that I wanted to go on multiple times. But the notable exception at Disneyland was the runaway mine cars in Grizzly Gulch, I rode that baby half a dozen times. Whereas Disney is definitely targeted towards children, which affects the type of rides they have. But even then, if you take the marketing hype away and factor in for age, Ocean Park was just a better place. This is not some sort of anti-Disney rant, just an honest opinion as an adult, though I will say that the Disneyland team know how to put on an awesome stage show and the parade and closing fireworks are worth the wait. The second reason I prefer Ocean Park was the cost of food and drink, and this is where it does become a bit of an anti-Disney rant. In the middle of summer, in humidity that made even my sister-in-law who lives in Singapore complain, two things stood out that made me think Disney were definitely gouging. One, the price of refreshments. In short, the price of refreshments 
from the stalls littered around Hong Kong Disneyland, charged a price that was probably about twice as much for the same stuff outside of Hong Kong Disneyland. Now, I'm lucky that the Australian dollar is quite strong against the Hong Kong dollar, so affordability wasn't wasn't so much an issue for me. But for the average Hong Kong resident, what is meant to be a magical place can sometimes be so magical that the parent's wallet vanishes into thin air. Whereas we found Ocean Park a lot more affordable and with a lot more variety. And second, while Ocean Park have an abundance of water dispensers around, and it would be somewhat ironic for a theme park based on water to not give any out, there was one, one and only one, water dispenser in the whole of Disneyland Hong Kong. And that solitary water dispenser was hidden around the back of some building out of the way. I'm not going to say it was deliberately obscured, but it certainly wasn't highlighted on a map, nor was it in an area with high volume foot traffic. And this is where we get to the crux of what happened. So, imagine that you've been in a particular place for coming up to a week. It started off with a car crash. You found your accommodation sucks. You're going through the cycle of losing energy due to the barrage of heat and humidity, being out all day, and coming back to your accommodation late, and then not getting enough rest due to the poor sleeping conditions. Mix that in with a constant thirst, a sore body, general discomfort, and wanting to get back to bed as soon as practicable. All of these factors combined to peel back the layers to the time bomb. And it was one miscommunication that lit the fuse. When we went to Disneyland that day, we knew we were going to be there until closing time because the rest of the family wanted to see the parade and the closing fireworks. Me? I couldn't care less. I would have been happy to explore suburban Hong Kong by myself because I was like a kid in a candy store taking photos of Hong Kong life with my fairly decent Canon DSLR camera. Yes, I'm a hobby photographer. But Ohana means family and family stick together. Except when we don't. And that's where the trouble started. By the time me and the kids didn't want to go on any more rides, the fireworks were still about 90 minutes away, so we were content to sit and rest up while we passed the time. However, my wife and sister-in-law wanted to keep going, so we split. They kept going and walked off, while me and the kids enjoyed snacks and I appreciated the local scenery. But then it hit me, and thankfully it wasn't a piece of construction machinery this time. It was the realisation that I won't know where they're going to be when the fireworks are over. This place has plenty of rides still open, and it literally has tens of thousands of people. And it's not like I can easily spot one particular person of Asian appearance in a crowd full of people of Asian appearance. So I dragged my sore feet off to the ride my wife and sister-in-law were waiting at, and told them to meet me when the whole thing is over at a particular spot. I chose the spot because I had figured out the layout of the place. Genius. Finally, the 90 minutes had passed, and it was fireworks time. Disney do a pretty good fireworks display. 
But let me tell you, my body was aching. My head was aching. I then dragged my feet, my bags, and my kids over to where we had arranged to meet. And with my military precision planning, the two girls should magically appear. We beat the crowd, get on the train, get back to our accommodation, sleep, and do something fun the next day. Except that didn't happen. I went to the prearranged spot. I stood there. I waited. We waited. And for every person that passed by that wasn't my wife or sister-in-law, my anger rose a notch. And Disneyland attendances in the mid-2000s averaged 20,000 per day. So that's a lot of notches my anger was rising. By the time 10 to 15 minutes had passed, any arrangement I made of meeting back together had to be canned. So me and the kids begrudgingly headed to the exit in the hope that they got sick of waiting wherever they were and headed to the exit as well. And then it happened. I was walking down the main street of Disneyland to go out, and suddenly I heard a familiar voice telling me to wake up. We finally found you! The fuse that was lit 15 minutes ago was now T-5 seconds to detonation. I don't remember the exact words I said, but I do remember the venom and the anger I spat them out with. And it was something along the lines of, We were waiting for you at the spot I told you both to meet me at. Did you just decide to ignore me? Why didn't you do as I told you? My wife and sister-in-law tried to reply, but at this stage, my anger had risen tens of thousands of notches for all the people who weren't my wife and sister-in-law, to the point that I didn't care what either of them said in their defense, and to the point that in a moment of frustration, I threw my bags down onto the ground to release the visceral anger I had. Did I lose my cool? Yes. Was it unbecoming? Definitely. Do I regret what I did? You betcha. Did anything get broken? Thankfully, no. But that train ride and the walk home were really awkward. And it's really hard to give the cold shoulder to someone who you're literally sleeping next to. In hindsight, I probably wasn't ignored. It's quite likely that my wife and her sister don't have the ability to form mental geospatial models quickly enough to be able to know a place by name in the space of a couple of hours. Maybe they simply forgot what I said in the tiredness and excitement. Maybe my wife and sister-in-law didn't hear my baritone voice clearly over the din of an exciting crowd. But whatever reason they tried to give for not meeting me at the spot I arranged was overshadowed by my outburst of anger. By the time my anger was on display in front of thousands of people, it didn't matter anymore. After I cooled down, I apologized to both my wife, my sister-in-law and my kids and explained to them that what I did, I shouldn't have done, but also why it happened. My apology was accepted but made for an awkward day or two of doing touristy things. And this made me realize that there is something about being able to reflect on your mistakes that shows a strength of character. I'm not talking about beating yourself up. I'm merely saying that having a clear head to help you realize 
when you have unnecessarily caused friction in the family is a valuable trait. No one wants an unhappy family. But we also have to realise that we are inevitably going to do things that rupture the peace. The test of our character comes in how we acknowledge our failures, how we make up for the hurt we cause, and how we respond to the inevitable challenges life gives us that sometimes chips away at our resolve. And that is the lesson. If you want more thought-provoking content, head over to the blog at www.tallfriendlyatheistdad.com That's www.tallfriendlyatheistdad.com Check me out on Twitter at TFADad or head over to Google Books or the iTunes Store and pick up your e-copy of The Best Religion for the Task at Hand a response to creationism and why humanism is morally superior to the Bible. You'll love it. Thank you for listening to the Tall Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. Have a great day. Have a great week. See you next time.